January 6th and how the press became the enemy of the American people. In their war on Trump, the press did the bidding of the Democratic Party, lost the story, and lost their way. On January 6th, Trump will give a rally in Iowa. He'll do what he's done for seven years as a hunted man, reassure his supporters that there is nothing to fear but fear itself. Joe Biden, the President of the United States, will also give a speech that day and do what he's been doing since taking office, offer the people nothing but fear itself. For podcast listeners, a tweet from the Democrats. President Joe Biden will mark the three-year anniversary of the January 6th insurrection with a speech near Valley Forge, speaking directly with voters about how democracy and fundamental freedoms are at stake. Here is a Biden campaign ad. There's an extremist movement that does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. All of us are being asked right now, what will we do to maintain our democracy? History's watching. The world is watching. Most important, our children and grandchildren will hold us responsible. The Vice President and I have supported voting rights since day one of this administration. And I ask every American to join me in this cause. Biden's message, be afraid. Be very, very afraid of your fellow citizens. The guy who works at the gas station, the waitress, the bus driver, the construction worker, the teacher, the pilot, all of them and any of them could be a Trump supporter. Fear them, shun them, help us remove them from our country. You are with us or you are against us. They see their fight against Trump as something along the lines of the Civil War, World War II, and 9-11 all rolled into one. It would be funny if it wasn't so terrifyingly real. It's no wonder his approval ratings are in the toilet and that Trump is polling ahead, even after everything they've thrown at him. The Democrats have lost touch with reality and no longer know the country they lead. None of this would be happening, of course, if we had a legacy media that served any purpose other than to be what Devin Nunes called part of state-owned leftist enterprise that also controls everything, universities, nonprofits, bureaucracies, and the Beltway Corridor. Since Trump was elected, the stories in the mainstream press have been nothing but an advent calendar of lies. Lift a flap, there's Russiagate. Lift another flap and there's Jacob Blake was unarmed and there to break up a fight. Lift another flap and there's Kyle Rittenhouse as a white supremacist. Lift another flap and it's mostly peaceful protests. Or it's Derek Chauvin was a racist who murdered George Floyd because he hates black people. Another flap, the nation's police are racists. Another flap says, vaccines stopped the spread of COVID. And another says, COVID did not come from a lab. Here are the experts trotted out to say protests are more important than COVID. Then more experts trotted out to say bringing in the military to stop the protests, which were mostly peaceful, was fascism. Then the experts said the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. Lift another flap, and it's the biggest lie of all. January 6th was an insurrection. No, it wasn't. It was not planned or ordered or even desired by Donald Trump or his supporters. It was planned by someone who was not part of Trump's rally and in fact did nothing to help Trump, but only ended any chance he had to debate the election in the Senate. The Democrats believe that January 6th is their get-out-of-jail-free card, that they can put the country through unending misery, but all they have to do is show the footage on a loop to keep their flock paralyzed by fear and the votes will flood in. The legacy press has been lying about January 6th for almost four years and counting. 
They live in constant fear of being accused of normalizing racism, normalizing a fascist. They did as they were told, with their image, reputation, and maybe even their jobs at stake. Salem Village in 1692 had no such thing as a free press. If the town leaders did not want something said or published, they would ban it and throw the perpetrator in jail. That's how they were able to get away with hanging 20 of their townspeople, convicted on spectral evidence, witchcraft they couldn't see but could only imagine. After each hanging, they'd all meet up in the tavern to celebrate as one more battle against the devil won. When a Quaker named Thomas Maul fought them, his case was said to have inspired the First Amendment to the Constitution, freedom of speech along with freedom of the press and freedom of religion. Here we are all of these centuries later and not much has changed. The elites and their media puppets still celebrate after another battle won against Trump and MAGA. Freedom of the press is a joke if much of the press is controlled by one political party that decides reality. But here's the problem for them. I was there. I wasn't in D.C. on January 6th, but I was following the Stop the Steal movement via Steve Bannon's War Room podcast. I know what the plan was and what it wasn't. I was a Democrat who had voted for Joe Biden. After the summer of 2020, like so many other Americans, I had to escape the mainstream media narrative after realizing I'd been lied to over and over again. I had to find out what was true and what wasn't. I also thought the 2020 election had been rigged by powerful forces in this country that had robbed the American people of their right to a fair election. If all the money and power is concentrated at the top and they decide to take complete control of our elections, maybe it isn't illegal, but it is not what our elections are supposed to be about. But even still, I didn't think Trump had a case. Then I watched as the media narrative became about the big lie and how it was almost a crime to say the election was stolen. Even now, they parrot the term that makes me want to scream, election denier. But it wasn't a fair election. One of the most powerful weapons was a lying legacy media that gaslighted Americans all through 2020. As we lurched from lockdowns to protests back to lockdowns, the media continued to lie all through January 6th, as though we all hadn't just lived through the summer of 2020. They're the ones who opened the door to acceptable political violence. As usual, it only applies to them. Then I started to think more carefully about the four years Trump was in power. I thought about Russiagate, the first impeachment. I thought about the media, what they'd done to Trump day in and day out for four years. How they cherry-picked things he said, blew them out of proportion. How they threw Trump news into the churn like bait. It was big business for them. But how is any of that a free press? That's pure state propaganda. How can they still call themselves journalists? How can they even sleep at night? I'd watched every Trump rally since the summer, looking for proof that he and his supporters were what they'd been charged and convicted of in the media, racists and white supremacists. None of that was true. Vivek Ramaswamy is one of the few candidates who has directly challenged them on the damage done. I'm not, I'm not going to recite some catechism for you. I'm against vicious racial discrimination in this country. So I'm not pledging allegiance to your new religion of modern wokeism, which absolutely fits, fits the test. I'm not going to bend the knee to your religion. I'm sorry. I'm not asking you to bend the knee to mine, and I'm not going to bend the knee to yours. But do I condemn vicious racial discrimination? Yes, I do. Am I going to play your silly game of gotcha? No, I'm not. And frankly, this is why people have lost 
trust. And I know you're going to go print the headline tomorrow. I already know this. We already know how your game works. Vivek Ramaswamy refuses to condemn white supremacy because you asked a stupid question. The reality is I condemn vicious racial discrimination in this country, but the kind of vicious and systematic racial discrimination we see today is discrimination on the basis of race in a very different direction. You want to know what the best way is to end discrimination on the basis of race? Stop discriminating on the basis of race. Do that and we're going to move this country forward. And I don't care whether you're black or white or brown or anything in between. That's how we're going to unite this country. You people have been responsible for dividing this country to a breaking point, creating a projection of national division. I meet people from the south side of Chicago to meetings like this one of every shade of melanin, multiple from man to woman, doesn't make a difference, who are hungry for reviving unity in this country. And you, with your catechism that you try to get to politicians to whatever fake headline you're going to print on the basis of this conversation tomorrow, that's what's dividing this country for a break, to a breaking point. Shame on you. Look people in the eye and tell them what you've actually failed to tell them for the last five years. Own the accountability for your own failures as the media. That's how we rebuild trust in this country. And until then, I don't have a lot of patience to play the games. Trump's supporters are kind people, decent and patriotic Americans. They're mostly outsiders who like Trump and want to support him. January 6th was going to be one last rally before they closed the door on the 2020 election. Trump had gone to great lengths to convince Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz to debate the election rule changes in the Senate. Ted Cruz was giving a speech when, from out of nowhere, a riot at the Capitol. That we are gathered at a time when democracy is in crisis. Recent polling shows that 39% of Americans believe the election that just occurred, quote, was rigged. You may not agree with that assessment, but it is nonetheless a reality for nearly half the country. I would note it is not just Republicans who believe that. 31% of independents agree with that statement. 17% of Democrats believe the election was rigged. Even if you do not share that conviction, it is the responsibility, I believe, of this office to acknowledge that is a profound threat to this country and to the legitimacy of any administrations that will come in the future. I want to take a moment to speak to my Democratic colleagues. I understand your guy is winning right now. If Democrats vote as a block, Joe Biden will almost certainly be certified as the next president of the United States. I want to speak to the Republicans who are considering voting against these objections. I understand your concerns, but I urge you to pause and think what does it say to the nearly half the country that believes this election was rigged if we vote not even to consider the claims of illegality and fraud in this election? And I believe there's a better way. The leaders just spoke about setting aside the election. Let me be clear, I am not arguing for setting aside the result of this election. All of us are faced with two choices, both of which are lousy. One choice is vote against the objection. And tens of millions of Americans will see a vote against the objection as a statement that voter fraud doesn't matter, isn't real, and shouldn't be taken seriously. My first thought was, that can't be MAGA. They don't do that. There was never any plan to breach the Capitol or 
take any member of Congress by force. None of that was part of Stop the Steal. But you'd never know it, because these are not questions our legacy media will ever ask or even wonder about. Now, too many Americans believe the official story that Trump sent a violent mob to attack the Capitol because he couldn't lose an election. Over time, it would become clear that January 6th was part of an ongoing sting operation coordinated by FBI informants who were being paid well by the Bureau to bring home the bacon. The idea was to manifest extremists, to rouse them out of the darker corners of America, rile them up, get them angry, and then aim them towards something dangerous, like kidnapping Gretchen Whitmer or storming the Capitol. Only one reporter in the mainstream even bothered to ask questions about the Whitmer kidnapping, Chris Heath, writing for Esquire, quote, It was also perplexing to see how much of the connective tissue that did exist involved people who were acting on behalf of the FBI. Take, for instance, what seemed at first glance to be one of the more damning events in the alleged narrative of this conspiracy. It is one thing to be told that, on the night of September 12, 2020, Adam Fox and Barry Croft, who, according to the prosecutors, were the plot's de facto ringleaders, conducted a nighttime reconnaissance of Whitmer's Elk Rapids vacation home, driving around the area after first stopping to inspect the underside of the bridge on Highway 31, where they might plant explosives. But it is perhaps another to piece together that the truck in question, a Chevy Silverado, had five people in it, and that Fox and Croft were in the back seat, Croft in the middle, next to a man who turned out to be an FBI informant, and that the truck was being driven by its owner, Dan Chappelle, who had been at the center of everything that had or hadn't been happening for several months, and that he was also an FBI informant, and that next to him up front was another man whom Chappelle had introduced to the group as an explosives expert, and that this man was not an FBI informant, he was an FBI agent. This is a lucrative grift for desperate people on the fringe who want to collect a few thou to sell their fellow Americans out to a hungry ruling class, eager for proof the FBI was helping to keep the village safe. Note the date, too, September of 2020, locked and loaded to be an October surprise for the election. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to put all of this together. You simply have to look for the connection from the FBI's plot to spy on the Trump campaign and sabotage his candidacy, and when that failed, it was onward to Russiagate and impeachment, and when that failed, it was COVID and the protests over the summer, and the biggest get of all, January 6th. I'm Ed Martin with the Pro-America Report. There are many unanswered questions about what really happened at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, 2021. Over the coming weeks, we're going to share video from that day and the days surrounding January 6th. We're going to ask questions, and together we're going to find answers, and we're going to demand justice. To understand what happened, we have to look at who the real architects of January 6th were. Not the thousands of people who assembled, or even the people who called them to assemble. Who took that event? and weaponized it into the dark day it became. Who set the narrative in motion? Who planned and staged the now infamous optics of January 6th? Like this, the infamous gallows. 
The media said the gallows was built because MAGA supporters intended to hang someone, maybe Mike Pence. The picture of the gallows, perfectly framing the Capitol, became a defining image of January 6th all around the world. So who built the gallows? Let's look at the facts. Early morning footage captures three individuals unloading wooden pieces of what would later be assembled into the gallows. Separate footage, though grainy, seems to show two more participants arriving at the same time by taxi. Together, the five people proceed to assemble the now infamous gallows. Over 1,000 patriots have been arrested after January 6th. But these five, these few who built the gallows on camera, they remain nameless and unknown to the public. They built a gallows and hung a noose right on the mall in front of the U.S. Capitol. And yet no law enforcement appears to question them, much less stop them. Funny how that worked out. One individual, dressed in a trench coat and a fedora-like hat and using a cane, he leaves the group, the Gallows Gang, to go and get coffee. Remember, it's 6.45 or so in the morning. There are very few, if any, coffee spots open at that time of day. Luckily, the trench-coated man I call Mr. Coffee, he knows just where to go. He walks straight across the road and down the way to a little spot that he obviously knew directly across from the FBI building. Upon Mr. Coffee's return, the group gathers briefly, perhaps to admire their prime choice of location. It was, after all, perfect for the coming photo op to spread the narrative about January 6th. Shortly after this, both the taxi and the van have left the scene, disappearing as mysteriously as they arrived. Almost three years has elapsed since January 6th, and many questions persist. Why, with all the FBI's resources, does Mr. Coffee's identity remain unknown? And what about his team with their premeditated, prefabbed plywood and wheels that were used to build a platform to supposedly hang someone? Wouldn't these people be persons of interest? Shouldn't federal law enforcement care? Neither the January 6th Select Committee of Nancy Pelosi and Liz Cheney, nor the FBI, despite having arrested over 1,000 Americans to date, seem to have taken any interest in the case of that sharp-dressed Mr. Coffee and his gallow-building team. We wonder, is there more to the story? There's someone out there who knows Mr. Coffee. Was this trench-coated man a MAGA supporter in disguise? Or might he have been part of another group altogether? If you have any information to share, please call us at 314-256-1776. Join us at the Pro-America Report and the Open.Inc. team. Seditious Conspiracy. In 1954, Puerto Rican nationalists shot up the Capitol, injuring several congressmen. They were convicted of seditious conspiracy. Yet the maximum time served for that crime? 
Six years, a fraction of what many of the January 6th protesters got. In Washington, scenes of confusion naturally followed news of the shooting outrage. The five representatives injured in the affray were rushed to hospital. The assailants were Puerto Ricans, led by this woman, Mrs. Lolita Lebron, said to have shouted, Free Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico rounds up its nationalist fanatics following the wounding of five U.S. congressmen. Ringleader of the group, Pedro Campos, is subdued after a two-hour gun battle with police. Linked to communists, the nationalist arsenal is believed to have been supplied by Reds, now being hunted throughout the island. The Weather Underground in this video claims they were a group advocating for, quote, violent overthrow of the United States. None of them were called insurrectionists or thrown away like human garbage by the legacy media. I'm a teacher now in a community college, and um, my students will occasionally bring up the war in Vietnam and ask me what, what my involvement was. And I'll say, well, I helped found an organization whose goal was the violent overthrow of the government of the United States. And people would, my students would look at me as if I'm from another planet. The media downplayed the revolution happening on the streets in the summer of 2020. There were not only autonomous zones where protesters claimed territory outside the control of the United States government, not only burning of federal buildings, violent threats, and abuse of police officers, but there were roving bands of teenagers chanting, decolonize the suburbs. At sleeping residents, demanding diners at restaurants raise their fists to pledge allegiance to Black Lives Matter. They breached the gate at the White House, sending Trump and his family into the bunker for protection. The protests, per the well-funded cabal, were orchestrated to make Trump look like a bad president with chaos on the streets. By the end of it, all institutions of power in this country would have been overtaken by a group of fundamentalists who now control everything, even the presidency of the United States. There has always been, up until now, power in being an American citizen and respect for our right to push back against a government we believe has become oppressive. As many of the violent protests this country has experienced since its founding, the word insurrection is not often found in the New York Times, referring to American citizens. The American spirit and identity were inspired by insurrection and revolution. Thus, it has never been used as what we're all supposed to fear, especially not on the left. This is what democracy looks like. Let's settle this once and for all. Trump and his supporters had every right to contest the 2020 election. Trump had every right to fight his legal challenges in court. He had every right to say it was rigged and stolen. He had every right to give a speech to his supporters that he won the election and the Democrats stole it from him. You might not like that he did that. You might think that makes him ineligible to run again or to serve, but too damn bad. That is not your decision to make. It's not Biden's or Pelosi's or the FBI's or some glassy-eyed fanatic in Maine. It is the decision of the people of the United States of America. If Democrats believe they have the right to shut down government, block airports, burn government buildings, destroy businesses, and storm the Capitol in various states to have their voices heard because this is what democracy looks like, then so do Trump supporters. 
There are many unanswered questions about what happened on January 6th. We already know the legacy media will never ask them. They've lost the trust of the American people, and there is no coming back from that. So is Trump right when he calls them the enemy of the people? Maybe we should ask it a different way. If they aren't the enemy, what are they? Thank you for listening to my podcast, sashastone.substack.com. And remember, to thine own self be true.